0: Okay, everyone, Um, welcome, welcome to the final day of the Imagine Belfast Festival of Ideas and Politics, we've had 86
1: events, so thank you very much for joining us on this unseasonably um, sunny day, we certainly appreciate your custom. I think we're in for a fantastic um, talk here, Uh, we're delighted to acknowledge,
2: commemorate, The Reformation, as you know, it's the 500th anniversary, and we
1: thought there should be space in our programme for this type of discussion, and we're delighted that the good services of Tommy Graham and History Ireland have been involved in curating this
2: event. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Tom.
3: Thank you, Peter. Uh, Good afternoon, history lovers, and welcome to the latest uh, History Ireland Head School. Uh, I'm your your Head School Master, Tommy Graham, editor of History Ireland magazine. I won't labour that point, I'll, I'll assume you are all subscribers and long time readers uh, of that uh, magazine. Um, now um, it's, it, it, I'm delighted to be here, it's a beautiful day I have to say, um, uh, at, this, uh, at this event. Um, now it's 500 years since Martin Luther nailed his 95 pieces to the door of his uh, Wittenberg church, attacking the Catholic church's corrupt practice of selling indulgences to absolve sin, setting in train the Protestant Reformation. But was that really about religion, or was it a cynical power grab by some of the princes of Europe, or was it an early manifestation of Brexit, you might say, disillusionment of the periphery with the perceived corruption of the cosmopolitan centre, Uh, and of course what is its relevance today. So to discuss these and related matters, we have uh, assembled an interdisciplinary panel here, we have historians, uh, clergymen, theologians of various sorts here. Uh, Hiram Morgan uh, on, on my right, uh, who lectures in history at uh, UCC, and beside me here, the broadcaster Pat Coyle, uh, who now works for the Irish Jesuit, uh, Irish Jesuit Communications, and on my left here, uh, the Reverend Brian Kennaway, who's the, the, the former President of the Irish Association, I may have got that wrong in the, uh, the publicity, and then finally, from uh, NUI Galway, we have uh, Brona McShane. Now, Hiram, can I start with you? Um, we all start with an easy question of these head schools. Uh, in about two minutes, could you describe, basically, the, the political situation in Europe in general terms uh, in Luther's time?
0: Oh, well, let me start. Well, the uh, great uh, political situation in Europe at the start of the 16th century was really the competition between France and the Holy Roman Empire, Francis I, France, and Charles V, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor. And they were competing for power in Western. So France against Germany, and Spain allied with Germany. So there was their huge power brokering be going on with. But also there was the threat from the East, the particular threat from Islam. Constantinople had fallen to the Turks, and Islam was Threatening Central Europe at the time that Luther was starting his Reformation. The uh, Italian Peninsula was divided into city-states, and famously, uh, the Pope was a great potentate of his own. And at the uh, start of the Reformation, just before Luther kicked off the Reformation, uh, famously, Erasmus had written his famous uh, tract, uh, Julius Excursus, or Julius Kept Out. Julius II, kept out of heaven by the Pope, because Julius was uh, trying to get into paradise, but the Pope was trying to keep him out because Julius had ran all these wars and uh, was really a, a politician, a power monger, a power grabber, trying to control central Italy. So the Pope was, uh, the papacy, was a largely a political institution. And then on the periphery, you have Henry VIII in England, uh, who, who was an ally of Charles V against France. So it was all these great uh, wars going on, and uh, at this stage, uh, nobody was particularly interested in religion. They were interested in pursuing uh, the the balance of power in Europe, which was balanced more or less neatly between the most powerful country in Europe, France, but France was hemmed in by uh, Germany and Spain, which was controlled by the House.
3: Now, just uh, just on the question of the church, an idea of how powerful it was. Now, I, I've seen a figure that roughly one third of the, the, the land of Europe would have been controlled by the church. Would that, would that be true? I, I think, think that,
0: that is? it is a fair assessment. Like, there was a bishop's lands, a huge monastic lands across Europe, and in particular, the church's monastic lands uh, were very well run. The, the church was a huge corporate institution, which had huge finance, and the monasteries in particular were very well run, and were really the huge landed estates of their day. So, is an economic
3: power as well, yeah. as a political More
0: power? More so than a, a spiritual power, or or both. And did the Church have any welfare role? The, the Church had a significant welfare for a role in that it provided education and hospitals, but that looked from the reformers' point of view, from the Protestant reformers. And from people like Erasmus, who were humanists, it looks as if the church was more interested in money and wealth and power than serving the people. Uh, like, like for instance, in, in England, uh, uh, Cardinal Woolsey, who once challenged for the papacy himself, had built a palace at Hampton Court, which was bigger than anything Henry VIII had. Found. So that's an example of the power of the papacy. And then, of course, the church is also beautifying Rome at this stage, rebuilding St. Peter's, and monies are being brought in from the rest of Europe to rebuild Rome and St. Peter's, and that is a source of grievance across Europe. Okay, I want to
3: bring Pat in here on this, because uh, this is the old story of a, of a, a building project that runs over budget. Uh, that might sound familiar uh, <laughs> in this part of the world. Somebody didn't cap this particular project, Pat, <laughs> and this is where the whole issue of uh, the selling of uh, indulgences uh, came in. Now this is could you explain this now because you know it, it, it's an awful misunderstood concept <laughs> and maybe you could, you could shed some light on it.
4: Well, simply as somebody who, when I was very much younger in the post, uh, just the early post-Vatican II days, did go and do pray for indulgences in, in my church, the idea behind it was, as we were taught it, that um, there were people who were in purgatory and that They were going to see God because, you know, they hadn't done anything egregious or whatever, but they had a bit of work to do on themselves and they weren't ready. So in order to help them along, we could do it as part of the the church, the mystical body, and we could do it by either good works or certain prayers or attending the sacraments. And so in doing that, um, you were assisting them to to get more quickly into heaven now. There's a whole load of things in that, that we can explore later, but I do want to. But what happened with indulgences around the time of Luther was, of course, that it became totally corrupt. I I'm going to argue here to you that there's a wisdom in those indulgences. Before they became totally corrupt, when they began to be sold by Julius II to people selling, I give you an indulgence. You give me a load of money, and I'll build the foundations of St Peter's. Um, and be, use it for my artworks, but let me put it to you like this: um, Whenever, say my son, for example, I'll give housing example, or anybody of you have kids, and they do something wrong, so maybe they you warn them now. If you do that again, you're grounded, and they defy you and they do it again. Now they come to you and they say, "I'm really sorry," and you go, "I totally forgive you." So. The thing was, it wasn't that the Catholic Church went and you weren't totally forgiven of your sins. The question is, does he still have to be grounded? Do actions have consequences? And they do, and we were saying, yes, they do have consequences, and I'm sorry, you really are forgiven, but I warned you if you did that, this was going to happen. So in a way, the notion of indulgences was a way of saying, you know, your actions and what you've done, whilst you're totally forgiven, they do have consequences. And I have to say, as somebody who was in the BBC and the war the, 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 that was raging here in Northern Ireland, the things that were happening here, and some people would say to me, are oh, you Catholics have it all stitched up? Says, you, you, all you do is go into confession, say you're sorry, and you're totally absolved, and that's it. And I had to say to them, well, it's not like that. At all. <laughs> so, we, you know, so you can't have it both ways, do you know mm. what I mean? Now, Was Luther right about indulgences and the way they became used as a purely commercial venture? Even the language of indulgences is commercial. Yes, he was, entirely. It was uh, disgraceful. And it took 50 years after he nailed his thesis, uh, before the, the, the Pope actually said it was utterly forbidden and banned to sell indulgences in any commercial way. But that's the kind of background. Now, nowadays, as Catholics, we would we rarely talk about indulgence, and my kids would look at me if I had 42 heads on, they wouldn't know what I was talking about, although the Pope Francis did, in the Year of Mercy, say that an, uh, an indulgence would be given, an extraordinary indulgence would be given, and I know people who happily did that, and they did it because they felt, well, I've wronged other people, um, I maybe don't have a chance to make up for some of that, I'm truly sorry, I'm totally forgiven, but I'd like to do something about
3: it. Pat, hasn't it sometimes been misinterpreted as permission to commit
5: sin?
4: Well, I, you see, I think it's the opposite. Hmm. You know, I think it was sold as that. When it, in its corruption, hmm. it became that. In its corrupted form, it became, you know, you do whatever you want, pay me some money, and it'll all be wiped out. And yeah, I, I think in some
1: ways this takes us to the heart of Luther's real problem. <laughs> yes, yes. And the problem for Luther, as it is indeed for the whole Reformed tradition, is who has the right to forgive sin? Uh, and Luther discovered, when he read the scriptures and came to those portions in, in, in Galatians and Romans, that just shall live by faith. And that was two years before he wrote his theses against indulgences. So he recognised that uh, only God forgives sin. Uh, and uh, therefore, when he published those theses, he had all that behind him and all that in his mind. And, and the theses, some of them, uh, I'm sure you don't want me to read them all, but I mean, uh, some very interesting statements he makes. Uh, Our Lord and Saviour, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, in saying, Repent ye, meant the whole life of the faithful to be an act of repentance. The Pope has neither the wish nor the power to remit any penalties save those he has imposed at his own will or according to the will of the canons. And an interesting one that comes out in, in number 86 The Pope's riches at this day far exceed the wealth of the richest of millionaires cannot he therefore build one single basilica of St. Peter's out of his own money, rather than out of the money of the faithful poor? Now, the the faithful poor opens that door for us.
5: Mm. I
3: bring you in here because, uh, just in terms of the public perception, insofar as there was a public, um, to what extent was there the concept of public opinion? here with the printing press and the, 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 the so how important was that because you you've done study on, on you know, what, what people were writing at this time
6: yeah well I think in terms of translating Luther's message because remember Luther is working in very much an academic environment when he writes his theses this is not something that is meant to be circulated among kind of a popular audience and it is only through uh, the subsequent translation of his of his 95 theses from Latin into German um, and then the distribution of that through the printing press that I think his, his message in relation to indulgences um, is, is filtered down through to, um, I suppose, popular culture. It's spread
1: through Europe in a couple of months. <coughs>
6: yeah, I think yeah. absolutely vital in terms of the European um, dimension and in terms of how the message was disseminated in Europe. When you look at maybe the Irish context, obviously that there's, there's quite a contrast there in the sense that Ireland didn't have its own printing press um, until much later. Um, so, so that was not um, I suppose to the same extent um, it wasn't as important in, in Ireland in, in the way that it like, was in Europe I,
0: like I think the important thing about the printing press is that like, Luther wasn't the only Protestant reformer he wasn't the first the yeah. first reformers were John Wycliffe and Jan Hus mm-hmm. a, a Czech and they were about 100 years before Luther but the crucial thing with them is that they didn't have the printing press they didn't have that means of distribution, production and means of distribution, to reach a wide audience. And so they didn't go viral. They didn't go <laughs> viral <laughs> right. as quickly. And, um, but they had the same ideas about grace. They had the same ideas about having the Bible in the vernacular. They had a lot of similar ideas to Luther. But simply, uh, they didn't have the means to distribute Their message to the same degree, and also I suppose that the time, more generally, wasn't opportune. The church wasn't perceived to be in such uh, bad
4: streets. And I just want to say something that's important here: that it wasn't. You see, there was two types of reform. The church, the Catholic Roman Catholic Church, holds that it is always in reform; that it always needs to be reformed. reformanda, and in that regard. There were reform movements within the Catholic Church as well, as and people like that. You had um, some in, in the 14th century, like you, you had the Devo- Devotia Moderna groups springing up, you had Thomas A. Kempis, who benefited very greatly from the printing press. So there was always the challenge to the institutional church from uh, looking for spiritual yeah, yeah, reforms. Yeah,
1: sure, sh- 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 the great problem, uh, and I, I'm aware of people, even Cardinal Giminis wouldn't preached against indulgences in Spain. Uh, and there are others trying to reform the church uh, from within. Uh, various orders are formed. Right. Uh, people wanted more devotion. Uh, Luther, when he Luther went... Luther
4: in the Augustinians yes, was in a Yes, uh, yes
1: but, but when Luther went to Rome, he saw the corruption and, and the selling of church offices and everything. And that was also the reason behind uh, the right. writing of, of the theses. But, but the difficult thing uh, is all these other ones, up until the Waldensians, Up until the Waldensians, people, I think, saw reform of the church as reforming the structure of the church, not its doctrine. And it was the Waldensians who came out right away, 100 years before Luther, and recognised that it was the Pope's doctrine that needed changing.
6: But but I think in relation to the printing press, I mean, you mentioned the likes of Wycliffe and, and Huss and how they didn't have access to the printing press in the way that Luther subsequently did. But I think it's important to remember in terms of the intention as well. Was it Luther's attention initially when he wrote the 95 pieces that it would be circulated and disseminated to the extent that it was via printing? I mean, we have to remember the academic context in which he actually developed these ideas too. Well, what do you think? Well, I mean, I'm um, certainly there was... I'm, I'm, I'm certain he, he was... He, he didn't probably anticipate that they would be circulated in the way that they ultimately were. Um, I, I don't think that well, that would was... would have
1: objected to it, would it?
6: I think he would have objected to it, but remember mm-hmm. these were he deb- would have objected to it? No, no, he wouldn't have would objected be. to yeah. the circulation, yeah. but I think these were debates that were part of an academic tradition um, and I think it was just like Hiram says, the opportune moments that, you know, these two kind of forces combined in the sense yeah, that... Yeah, but I
0: think the one thing is that popular opinion is emerging with the result of, uh, the development after the Black Death, the lay tradition of, of, of reading, of prayer, of devotion, called uh, development of Lay piety or lay devotions—a huge popular interest emerging amongst basically a developing middle class, if you like, in Europe, in the towns in particular. Mm. People and mo- most of them, we would regard it as superstitious. But most of them are interested in going on pilgrimages, uh, devotions to Our Lady. Uh, so there's a great deal of interest in religion, and but the important thing is people like um, Erasmus and others who are on the periphery of the the clergy, is that um, the clergy is no longer the sole authority. uh, And there's many other people who have got opinions. And so it's those that Luther take advantage of. Also, the end of the Middle Ages in Europe is a very threatening time. There's a huge amount of disease about it. People are afraid for their lives. People are afraid for their salvation. And that is also what... Luther takes advantage of, mm-hmm. uh, or and the reformers generally, and indeed the whole church who is raking in this money—they're taking advantage, as you could say, of people's genuine fears. Mm-hmm. Like Luther h- himself, when he did get married, um, six, uh, three of his six children did not mm-hmm. survive to adulthood, mm-hmm. and that was commonplace. That most children, half of people's children, died before they reached adulthood. Uh, Those huge epidemic diseases. The black death recurred and recurred and recurred right up until uh, the 1660s in London. So people uh, suffered and died and so it was a fearful time. So God was ever-present and the needs of salvation were ever-present.
4: Can I take up a point? Brian made it. Yes, it was a fearful time but Luther himself was very fearful. I mean, Luther had that sense of this punishing God who would never forgive him and he would never... Uh, 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 him and his family and that that real fear and I I think part of the impetus impetus, which I really identify with that drove Luther um, was not originally to just reform the doctrine of the papacy or whatever but to actually reform a theology that was really life destroying judgmental terrifying and which was capitalised as you say then on by charging people to release them from that and what he recovered and I say recovered, because he did go back in a resourceful type way. What he recovered from the gospel was this wonderful experience of we are forgiven totally. We don't have to do it. It is a pure gift, pure grace. And this is a huge relief. Now I think that's a spiritual journey that he was on. And that's yes. why I think it, I, if you read the mystics the, around that time of Luther, the mystics who were silenced, many of the women mystics as well. Um, we're actually saying the same kind of thing, but of course they had no voice and, 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 and had no input into this more patriarchal <laughs> male-dominated. Uh, and, and in fact, many of them were, some of them were even in <coughs> later times for some of the yeah. things that they said.
3: Can I just move the discussion back into the political arena here for a second, Hiram? Um, because eventually uh, Luther is called to book and he, he won't recant whatever, right? But he, he is then protected by various princes in, in okay, right there. Yeah. Why did they take that step? I mean, are, are they deeply religious people, or are they politically self-interested people?
0: Well, they're, they're politically self-interested. But just before we get that, also, Luther's a great showman, and he takes people on in these uh, uh, um, debates and colloquies, uh, Yannick, Kajutan, and then at the Diet of Worms, where he stands up before the princes and the emperor and says, you know, here I stand, I can do no other. And uh, says he stands for the gospels, and that's where he's putting his position. So he is great. He's a great gentleman, and people. He he becomes a, the sort of champion of the common man. But from the prince's point of view, he can be used against the emperor. This is a power struggle between the princes, regional princes in Germany, and the emperor, and the emperor. Is obviously wanting to centralise power in Germany to strengthen his power, basically to fight wars against the French and the Turks in particular. He wants to strengthen his power, but the princes want to re- retain local control, like the, the dukes of Saxony and others. So this so is like Brexit then. Uh, <laughs> so this is like Brexit. So so, so consequently, uh, they want to keep revenues in their own territories, um, not remit them to Rome or the emperor, and uh, so so that's the reason. It's take control of the local church. And then there's the lands of the local church, particularly the monasteries, Mm. uh, which which the princes can take over. Uh, And probably the most famous case of that is the monastic order of the Teutonic Knights, which which is entirely dissolved. And the head of the Teutonic Knights becomes the first uh, uh, Duke of Prussia, uh, the first Hohenzollern who leads down to the German imperial dynasty. So so. Monastic lands are taken over and taken over by the local princes, which enormously strengthen the local princes in Germany. Hiram, do what he extent- Yeah.
3: Ground. Okay. Just on that. Just before we come back to that in a second. But does this massively accelerate then the emergence of nation states? Because assuming a like, uh, place like Sweden, which is a very small population of one million, that the the, the the church lands were confiscated by the state, and then th- that state could punch way above its weight. Subsequently, would that
0: be a correct reading? No, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it, it happens then in, in Scandinavia. And then uh, Henry VIII, with his uh, great matter, as he called it, or his problem of divorce, ends up taking over the church lands in England uh, and massively strengthens the English monarch. Right. So it is about nation states, absolutely. Now,
6: can, I, Rome, can yeah. I come in there, uh, uh, kind of a moving away from the, the idea of nation states, but um, Hiram discussed there about the head of the Teutonic Knights becoming the first Duke of Russia. I and mean, that just really strikes or brings home for me the whole idea of with this massive closure of monastic um, houses, um, you have a real vacuum there in terms of the role of women. So whereas men within these monastic orders and houses can take up other positions of power, such as um, the head of the Teutonic Knights becoming a, a duke, uh, you really are left with a total, total vacuum in terms of uh, women's role within institutions.
3: All, the, all these women in these convents
2: then?
6: Well, that's it. I mean, I mean, what happened to them? Who knows? I mean, they were, they were, they they left convents, they returned to their families. Many of them married subsequently, but many of them didn't. Um, and I, I suppose I think that's... I mean, one of them
0: married.
6: Absolutely. But, um, you know, that's not to say that the, the tradition of monastic um, religion completely died out in, in these areas too. Yes. Um, there is evidence that a lot of these institutions... Uh, continued in spite of, of attempts um, at closure. But I think that's important, kind of. It's a very point good point raise. because
4: it was at that time it, when women really either got married or did the spinning in the spinster and really had no role. Mm-hmm. One of the roles that um, the, the church played in, in these monsters was to give these women as an autonomy of, of, of mm-hmm. a, a certain degree, in a good degree, in many education. cases. Education. education. They didn't have to get married, mm-hmm. and um, it was very nice. Thank you very much. And that—that uh, that is actually one of the consequences that was unfortunate, as the points out.
3: Is there a link, by the way, of the subsequent marriages of, of witch hunts? I just—I so, you know, mean, in the sense that, are there women after the Reformation for, for whom there is no role, marginal women, who then are, are kind of targeted or or, or victimized? Yeah,
0: Well, witch hunts is is there really a really general social economic thing. It's not not really. Today. As as mm. Okay, let's, let's
3: we we'll leave that one.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, Brian, it's, it's another can of worms, mm. just as bad to, to my mind as the rest. I, I think,
6: I think <laughs> the point is that just the closure of the monasteries really lessened the, the options for women um, in terms exactly. of you were either a daughter and controlled by your father, you were a wife and controlled by your husband, or you were um, a, a, a religious woman controlled by a convent and an order, um, and and. Now really the only option was that you either married or you you left out your life in um, a single woman which obviously was highly problematic for from both the church's perspective and social perspective.
3: Now can I just uh, actually I want I want to go to you Brian a second on, on John Calvin. just before we go to that right there's the question of the, the peasants revolt of 1525 right because obviously these were peasants all over Germany. Obviously, they, 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 got the, they got the wrong idea from him because they were subsequently condemned. But they rose up. What was that about, Hiram? What and, 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 like, were well, they inspired by Luther?
0: Uh, they were absolutely inspired by Luther. Because w- what Luther had done was that people confused his uh, religious message of religious liberty. Uh, he, he published in a 1520 book called The Freedom of a Christian Man. And many <coughs> of the people who spread Luther's message, who preached Luther's message, who sent it out in in, in, in image form, uh, was that uh, it, it was a political and social freedom, and that got quickly confused by people on the ground. And one of the problems with the German monasteries and, and German um, landed estates generally was serfdom. Uh, and uh, many people in Germany, uh, many of the lowest uh, classes were serfs, and indeed the monasteries were in... in, in Actually, insurving more people at this stage, as people fell into debt. So consequently, so sorry, I'm
3: just saying you, you're saying serfdom wasn't on the way out. You're saying in some ways it was on the way Well, the ch- well
0: churches were, the mona- monasteries were increasingly ensurfing uh, in people, and so mm-hmm. the, that encouraged the the pest road, and people took the, naturally took Luther's message at face value, and then uh, there was a massive revolt over central and uh, south mm-hmm. southeastern Germany. And then Luther had to turn against the peasants and uh, launches this uh, great tirade, the number of pamphlets, against the murdering horde of peasants where he said it was the best thing that could be done was to kill these peasants. And this was because he saw that if he didn't get that message across, that the princes would abandon him. So he came to the crossroads that if, he, if this became a social revolution, he would lose his spiritual revolution. So he had to just bank on the spiritual revolution.
3: How big was that kind? Just so you could figure out, I mean, what sort of size of armies were in the field here? Oh,
0: what well, t- tens of thousands of tens peasants. Tens of thousands, right. Well, not not those very large peasant armies. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But the peasants, the peasants were also using the print, printing press. They had their 12 articles that they printed, which are quite revolutionary. So, does this
3: does this crop up in, in, the, in what people are writing, what, what they're saying at this time? Does this, this, this tension between the prospect of, you know, social revolution, if you like, with, with religious reformation,
6: yeah, I mean, I think, I think they're so intertwined, this, you know, social, economic, economic religious um, motivations are, are certainly um, driving a huge amount of this and, and ultimately lead to the Peasants' Revolt. Um, but like, like your prime says, you know, I think they, they really confused uh, Luther's message of religious liberty by kind of latching on to that, um, and he really ultimately didn't support what they were doing.
3: But basically, that genie was got back in the bottle, mm-hmm.
1: essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Very ruthless. And the church still developed. Right. And the peasants still came to the church.
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in spite uh, of all uh, that. Yeah. Well, right. you, w- what Luther did then was uh, he, he he built his German church, he built it on a German Bible, a uh, Bible in the vernacular. Uh, Luther was a great hymn writer. He, he used folk songs uh, and, and uh, turned, had created a whole bank of. Uh, of uh, and transforms the, the mass into German mass with these hymns uh, and uh, like it, he really does Germanize and popularize his message uh, it's a fabulous performance Like, mm-hmm. uh, so he um, was it, yeah, I mean, this has come up again, he was a showman um, well that's one way
3: of putting it yeah, yeah right, maybe I just want to get on, you're from the Presbyterian tradition right? and I just want to, if you just talk to us about John Calvin, where he comes into the picture and um,
1: what, what ideas did he develop? Uh, yeah, well, I, I think what you have in mind here, uh, quite often, Calvin is accused, among other reformers, of introducing this phrase, the Antichrist, uh, to refer to the Pope. As was whole to hold that as a secondary question, but was yes. yes. saying, but, good but Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I'm afraid, uh, you see, uh, Luther used that, yeah, he did, yeah. uh, in his articles of, what, 1537. And five occasions, he used, and um, here's one of the quotes, Uh, The Pope is the very Antichrist who has exalted himself above and opposed himself against Christ because he will not permit Christians to be saved without his power. But the myth is that this is a construction of Protestants. But it's not. It goes back much further. In in fact, the phrase uh, occurs away in the days of Pope Gregory. Uh, And, of course, in the time when one Pope was vying against the other, they were accusing each other of that. Um... The Bishop of Orleans, for example, in 991, uh, used that phrase, Reverend Fathers, do you regard this man uh, who sits on such a lofty throne? For there is no doubt that if if he is destitute of charity and is proud proud by virtue of his own intellect, that he is the Antichrist sitting in the temple of God. Uh, And and that's 991. And again, the Bishop of Salzburg, just in 1242, before Luther, uh, referred directly to Pope Gregory. That morally depraved man, whom they are accustomed to call the Antichrist. So it's not a Protestant invention. It was a word that was in vogue in the day, and Luther therefore used it. It was the language of the day. Uh, Calvin, who stands, of course, on some ways on Luther's shoulders, uh, used the language as well. Uh, Furthermore, when it came to the articles of faith, like the Westminster Profession of Faith, that is included in that language as well. and the Irish architects. That's mm. all there. But I mean, that, because that was the language of the day, but it was not a Protestant invention. Mm-hmm.
5: That's a myth. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're saying
3: that it's, it's just part of the course for the, the, the language, the discourse of the time. Yes. Right. And I mean, is it linked, you know, because it, I suppose the confusion would be uh, the reference to the Antichrist and the Book of Revelations and so yes. on. So you said there's no link to that, or is it? that just
1: coincidental? Or uh, uh, no, I, I don't know how it's first, I, I can't put myself into the minds of the people who first used it, mm-hmm. but obviously they used something of that link.
0: Uh, but it, but it's, it's well drawn out in Luther's Bible, you see, because mm-hmm. it's actually illustrated, the Antichrist is illustrated mm-hmm. in Luther's Bible, I and mean, you've got the Whore of Babylon yeah. with, the, with the people tiara, mm-hmm. you know, so they, they make the connection visually. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, you know,
1: where does that phrase Whore of Babylon come from? Well,
0: that comes. From uh, Revelation, does it not? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> not just an identification?
1: <laughs> yes, yes I, I just, just, I keep reading things that that uh, you know frustrate me at times. People write things and say, uh, "Oh, you're a Presbyterian. You believe that the Church of Rome is called the whore of Babylon." <laughs> but that is not in the Western confession of faith at all. No,
0: really? <laughs> and I know, but I mean,
1: sometimes these are the kind of things that are thrown around mm-hmm. and people accept them without question. Brian, just
3: on, just moving away from the Antichrist question for a second, um, just his development, this idea of uh, scripture being front and centre of the you know, relationship between man and God, because it bears on the question of authority. What do you have to say about that?
1: Yeah, well, I I think, uh, again, I mean, the Reformation movement is a continuing movement, and that's why I wanted to emphasise there was pre-Luther Reformation and there's post-Luther Reformation. Uh, And gradually, uh, the Reformers, uh, I mean, if they were alive today and were writing in Gable Walls, as people do write in Gable Walls, they wouldn't be writing it in Ulster scots or Irish. (laughs) They'd probably be writing writing it in Latin. Uh, And they were writing phrases like, sola scriptura, the scriptures alone. Mm -hmm. Sola gratia, grace alone. Sola Christos, Christ alone. Sola fide, faith alone. So the big slogans that came out uh, were, salvation was uh, by grace alone, Mm -hmm. through faith alone, in Christ alone, the authority of which is the scriptures alone. And the word alone, of course, is always very important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but do you not think sometimes, like, one of the things that the Catholics accused the, uh, the, the printing of the Bible and the translation of the Bible mm-hmm. was that the, the, the translations of the Bible were forced in mm-hmm. some respects and twisted to suit the, the reformist message. Like, for instance, we have Luther translating, uh, We have all sinned, whereas the Catholics said, We are all sinners, which are, which are mm-hmm. very significant mm-hmm. differences. Give, give it, give it well, sorry. <laughs> we, we have all sinned and we are all sinners. Mm. You know, there's a significant difference there. And like, by faith alone, uh, you know, the things that Luther introduced the word "alone" apparently into his translation. I don't know whether the translation is right or not. But I mean to say is that one of the things the Catholic Church says that once Luther translates the Bible into the vernacular is all sorts of interpretations can be taken, and that's one of the problems.
6: I think also is it removes the place of the clergy as well. Absolutely. It
0: removes the, the <coughs> magisterium no, no, of the church. No, no exactly. need for experts.
6: Yeah, but
4: uh, but Hiram is no, making a good point right? because what it does is it leaves you with problems. Mm-hmm. And the problem is this. First of all, like, th- there is is no historian, but I think there was what I've read and what I know of my theology that if you take Adrian VI as a pope, they, they could, Luther was reforming. He it didn't have to end up in a schism. Like what I, the point I'm trying to make here mm-hmm. is that reform was always happening in the church from different islands. Except languages.
1: doctrinal reform.
4: Well, hold on a minute now. Debate, it, it, there, debate there were though, other... Yeah. Do- there were, and the point was, when you have a papacy that in some ways is so bankrupt at this stage, when they're just princes, medieval princes, and they do the kind of things that oh. they do, it makes it a lot harder for the doctrine to, 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 um, to be changed. This could have been... And I think the Counter-Reformation shows that because this could have been a beginning of doctrinal reform. But this now the second point you have just to finish this, is then once you go back to scripture alone, which is the big thing then, because I think actually there, and we'll see toward the end, of course, that, that now that there is no mm-hmm. real significant disagreement between what Luther was holding and what is now the Catholic Church teaching. But once you go back to scripture alone, who has the authority to interpret the scripture? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's I mean what Luther it did. No, yeah. it's a very important point. Yeah. Who, Luther himself took on other groups that rose up and um, and savagely impressed them because he was setting himself up as an authority in interpretation. Now, yeah. like, like, there are no value-free places. Mm. You have to work out a system where somebody becomes the arbiter. And that was the function... Well, or, or
0: else you <coughs> moved to total toleration. To, uh, which which there have. was none. No, but which we have now. Like, the problem is how do we get to this stage... Like whether we want a complete control by the hierarchy, or whether we want the toleration that we have today, uh, and where churches have proceeded into the background, like uh,
4: that—that's. or where theologians and people but who I, are interpreting. I agree with what I mean? Pat is
6: saying in the sense that I think it comes back to this whole issue and idea of intentionality. What was Luther's intention with um, writing the Ninety-Five Theses and, and debating these issues? I I don't know that he intended for the schism that ultimately emerged. And like you say, it could have been that it was a doctrinal reform, but for other factors at play. You know, like you say, this is the first time that we're having these debates. Just before we just proceed,
3: just for a second, I just want to make it clear to the audience, just in case you haven't been at a head school uh, previously, this is a school and you expect to do a bit of work
4: as (laughs) well as pay
3: attention we will also be asking you to participate in the discussion here, so if you want to gather your thoughts there, if somebody wants to ask a question or make a contribution just, just put your hand up and uh, you will be facilitated, because I can feel the discussion warming up <coughs> here, so you want to get well, to speak in well, quick while well, you have a chance
0: Well, I think it's a mute point what Luther's intentions were, because the consequences were all too evident, and the problem is that that what what as the church said, once Luther happened, the cap was out of the bag, and all sorts of interpretations, there was very Soon, people objecting to Luther's own interpretation of the church, Uh, his his own friends in Wittenberg, uh, uh, and then um, Karlstadt in Munster, who who becomes involved in the uh, Peasants' Revolt, and then the Anabaptists, and then, uh, like famously, Calvin, um, who executes, or, or with the assistance of the uh, authorities in Geneva execute Servetus, who is a, a anti-Trinitarian. Like, in fact, Servetus would have been executed in any time in Europe, but he's executed <laughs> in Calvin's Geneva. So the thing is that that uh, uh, the, the the reformers uh, were um, you held certain things like the Trinity and and baptism uh, as to be Keynotes and they didn't want to deviate from that, but all of a sudden, all sorts of religious opinions are developing. And uh, the Catholic Church is then not the only people to condemn people as heretics. Hmm. Lots of people may condemn right. them. What about that? I mean, this
3: is the problem with dissenters, they tend to dissent <laughs> yes. split into yeah. the yeah. Yeah.
1: various yeah. denominations. So, the, the interesting thing is, you talked about Geneva. The interesting thing, if you go to the Reformation Monument Geneva, the central figures are Farrell, Calvin, B. Z., and Knox. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luther is a sideshow in some ways. Ooh. So, uh, in other words, his day had come and gone, and things had moved on to what many of us regard more clear sure, presentations.
3: Yeah. Anybody, in the audience, want to come in there To this stage? Yep. Here. Did, did Luther risk being executed? Because if he did,
7: how could there not have been a, sch- a schism between? the reformers in the Catholic Church. I mean, if the intention of the Catholic Church was to excommunicate which would lead to death,
0: that was the reform over. Well, well Luther, was. Luther, was. Luther was excommunicated. 1521. None of the bishops and, none of the, and then the uh, German at worms wouldn't arrest him. And but but the, the, the intention was that the
7: excommunication would be his death. It would have they been caught. If he hadn't had the protector of the prince. Sure, yeah. So, so there was no intention for the reform process to be kept within the Catholic Church, it had to be external. And then the the Counter Reformation actually, you know, didn't agree with any of the reformist positions later. The the twenty or thirty year period of the Catholic Counter Reformation, there was no agreement on the religion reform. well, Reformation. I, I mean I I
4: think the Pope who only lasted a year in the sixth did have a meeting with some people would say, actually, thought could go somewhere in terms of Luther, and in terms of coming to some resolution. He died within a year, mm-hmm. and is the only one that sounds like somebody that you know maybe some moral background and and some spiritual background, and he died within that year, and the whole thing, you know, because of other pressures. So I think there may have been a possibility there, and you know, what can we say? But like afterwards, I mean, within fifty years of um, the. Luther's you know, attack on indulgences and an utterly correct attack, let me be, let be said. I mean, it was uh, bad. The Pope did ban the um, selling of indulgences or ma- making any kind of money or commercially from them. And, you know, the, the I think it took a long while, but I do think that in the Council of Trent uh, um, and in the Counter Reformation, the, 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 the bishops were told that if there was reform, go back to your places, go back and be in situ, don't be extorting money. There were things that were put in place that Luther had critiqued. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, now the Catholic, Catholic theologians and historians, churches, are very anxious that they don't, there are only a few things that they would say that Catholic reform has been ongoing and that they preferred to say Counter Reformation they really say, right, there were some things that were responded to, but that there was always ongoing reform, and the Council of Trent was part of that ongoing reform. I think the the Council
5: that of Trent was an ongoing thing itself. Yes. It wasn't what we would imagine to say in two day, but mm-hmm. I mean, it clearly led to a split in an attempt to rejuvenate the intellectual basis of the church, particularly mm-hmm. with the formation of New Orders of Jesuits. But it also had a mystical component. Mm-hmm. You know, like trees mm-hmm. and villains. Yes. Um, but you couldn't say, adding all those together, that it added up to some kind of viable response to the critique of the people of Luther? Well, but but
6: that's debatable, I suppose. I think, in the context of Ireland, you could say that it did add up to that because the Counter Reformation certainly took a strong foothold there from at least the 1570s and 1580s. Um, well, uh, I can't see how you're
1: going to argue that, uh, there was, uh, a reforma- that the Reformation produced reform in the Catholic Church. I have a problem with that. Uh, things like the perpetual virginity of Mary was proclaimed in 1555 uh, with no evidence in Scripture. Uh, the Immaculate Conception was decreed, the Assumption of Mary, then Queen of Heaven in and more modern days, 63, well I say modern because it's my life, 63, <laughs> 63, 65, uh, Mary is, is decreed as the Mother of the Church. All these things that, would, that actually flew in the face of the great principles of the Reformation. Of
0: scripture on. Yeah, no, I, I think that I think that is right. Like what the thing is that the Catholic Church just tried to put a whole dam up and keep so it 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 tried to keep everything intact, including indulgences. He said indulgences exist but we won't pay for them any longer. Yeah. So basically they tried to hold the fort completely. And then they had orders like the Jesuits who, who whose idea was to obey blindly and do the folks' work. Uh, that is that's very Come on, that
4: is the case. And Ignatius was hauled in before the Inquisition. Ignatius had uh, the founder of the Jesuits, um had to tread really carefully trees of Avila, all of those people that you're referencing quite correctly. Sure. You see, you've got, I, I have to keep holding this. There's an institution of the church and what it stands for. And there is also the church as the mystical body of Christ. Well, the church as the people of God, which I think Luther had uh, certainly a uh, lot to say about it. And I, yes, but like, but
0: like, like I, I quote uh, uh, Luther's, uh, or Loyola's, uh, spiritual exercises, where he one instruction is, if black is white and the church says so, that is the law you know That is the sort of obedience that the Jesuits were taking on
4: to do the work of the counter reformation it, it's, it's, it's nuanced in other ways. We know where the word Jesuitical came from. Can I just yeah. very quickly <laughs> say, for example, the very fact that Ignatius had spiritual exercises, the very fact that he was encouraging ordinary lay people to look into themselves and to find within themselves an experience of God, which I think Luther might not have been a million miles away from, I think it would have been comfort to him, and to find that he was himself putting himself in a very difficult position vis-a-vis his own institutional church and the watchdogs there. I am not saying that that the institutional church changed overnight or anything like that, but what I'm saying is I'm always trying to put before you that there were other reform movements going on that were broader than just institutional
3: hierarchical
2: reform and <laughs> those <laughs> documents are always really small yeah. parts. The gentleman here. Yeah. You should read uh Hefsel's book, The Two Babylons because there is parallels between uh old Babylon and uh, new Babylon. <laughs>
1: Any I on yeah, that uh, yeah, uh, no I don't I don't haven't read that. But, but I, I think the real the institutional church is one thing and the mystical people of God is another. Uh, that's fair enough, but the problem is the institutional church proclaimed what we commonly refer to as dogmas since the Reformation. Uh, five of which I have uh, just highlighted. I mean, and if the institutional church were interested in reform in any shape, surely they would not have proclaimed those
6: things. Well, I think that's unfair. I mean, I think you're 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 using one version of reform, um, and you're saying that that has to fit into. All versions of reform mm-hmm. then, just because they didn't necessarily ref- reform in response to those particular um, areas that you've mentioned, doesn't mean to say that th- they weren't ultimately successful. I mean, the Counter Reformation had a huge success um, in in countries like Spain and um, in Ireland in particular. And um, so. Well, we it could, could
0: be said that it's Thank success that we're just getting over from, like the Inquisition. Can I just just
3: introduce something else here before I forget (laughs) it? because it came up uh, while we were having lunch, right? Which never comes (laughs) into any discussion of the Reformation. That is the role of Islam in the background here. Explain what you explained to me over lunch.
0: All right, well, uh, well one of the things is the huge threat to Central Europe at the time of Luther was that uh, Charles V uh, and his brother, Ferdinand are trying to fight the Turks in Central Europe. And the huge cost of fighting those wars means that uh, Charles V doesn't move against Luther. He needs money from the German princes. He needs troops from the German princes. He needs to raise taxes in the rest of Germany. So the Lutherans get left uh, to one side for nearly 20 years before they get attacked uh, in the Schimmakalic War. So consequently, uh, 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 the the Turks... uh, uh, to some extent, uh, their threat gives Luther a, a, an opportunity—a uh, space. a, a breathing space—a breathing space—and then, then once that's happened, also uh, France is stronger by the end of Charles V's reign, and then France intervenes on behalf of the Lutherans and saves the Lutherans, and that leads to the uh, the Peace of Augsburg, where where they have to surrender, where Charles V and the Holy Roman Empire has to surrender Catholic control of.
3: Just explain the peace of Augsburg. um, Well, the peace of Augsburg... Well,
0: the cuis regio, cuis religio, basically one region, one religion. And so if if the prince was Lutheran, he chose the religion of his territory. So the the Dukes of Saxony chose Lutheranism uh, and the barbarians and and, uh, the Habsburgs in Austria chose Catholicism. So that's why... Germany became the is, that seen, is that
3: seen as a victory for for the, the Protestant side? Oh,
0: absolutely! It was a substantial victory. But there's, but not, but there's an irony there, there though. Law.
3: Is there not an irony there, though, in the, in the sense that it lays down the law in terms of authority? It says, right, you, you have to follow the head man, and there's always a man near <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, well, you, you. have to follow what they say, and that's it. Uh, you,
0: yeah. Well, the, the problem is that the, the problem is that that is only an agreement between Lutherans and Catholics. The problem is that Calvinism emerges after that, and Calv- there's no space for other religions within the settlement, and that's why part of part of the reason you get the Thirty Years' War later, because mm-hmm. there's no space for other religions within, within in the German constitutional context. Can I just move
3: on to the Thirty Years' War, because this is a war. I mean, uh, the figure I've seen here is that you know between in the in one hundred twenty years up to the middle of the seventeenth century, something like ten million people died in various wars. Uh, can this all be laid at the door of the Protestant Reformation, or would these people have been killed anyway in wars between various powers in Europe? Well, this goes
0: oh.
3: <laughs> 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 I mean, is, is that fair to throw out a figure like that?
0: Uh, well, the, there's a, a led, the figure given in the 30 Years' War is about 8 million it's killed. In, that, and that's the 30 Years' War in the middle of the 17th century. And then there's the wars after, the Williamite wars, and the wars of Louis 14th. and then before that, you have the, the Dutch Revolt and the wars in, in Germany. So probably are getting into 12, twelve million people getting killed, and the massacres and the religious violence that results uh, is just uh, horrendous, like the French Wars of Religion, uh, the wars in, in, uh, in the Netherlands, uh, it, and the wars here in Ireland on a smaller scale. But religion plays a huge and. Uh, um, Quite vicious part in those wars.
3: Well, I mean, far be it from us sir, who, who were just a, a short move from the 20th century, which witnessed mm-hmm. killing on an industrial scale. Was this on a different scale than what, than what had gone before, higher? In terms of the numbers, does it make a difference, the religious schism? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that, that, that's, that's very hard to gauge. But I, I would certainly say that the uh, religious issues make the wars longer. Dr- more long drawn out and harder to solve because then they're not simply dynastic issues or constitutional issues (laughs) they're religious issues as well You also
6: have in in this period too the emergence uh, but but in a different way of of the whole idea of martyrdom and religious martyrdom and that certainly takes on a huge uh, significance in terms of the way these wars are perceived and I think uh, in terms of their longevity as well um, and obviously that pulls back into then the printing press as well because uh, you have these uh, stories of martyrs, and you have both Catholic and Protestant writers compiling these uh, accounts of martyrs and martyrdom, and they're circulating very broadly. So I think that that d- dimension to these ongoing wars is is an important feature that like we don't that we don't see in the yeah. earlier. Um, yeah. And countries. I think it's
0: it's a bit like Shia and Sunni in in Islam at the moment, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, huge uh, and seemingly unremitting wars are, are between. Uh, branches of the same right. I mean I, I was
3: gonna a was on my list of questions to ask here, right? Can we draw parallels with the with the Shia split because it seems inexplicable explicable to the to Westerners. Uh,
5: I mean well, anyway the
3: whole ISIS thing is is, is a Shia sunni civil war rather than an anti Western war. Well I, I, I yeah, Maybe we leave that one. That's yeah. a, a t- topic for another head school. Anybody else from the audience want to come in? Yeah. Yeah um, is
7: is it a question of semantics? the words actually change? because I used to describe myself as a fundamentalist, but now I find myself involved in with Bahá'í Muslims as well, mm. but every time the word anti is used by people, a lot of people die, um, and, mm. and especially if you talk about the, the 20th century, past the 12th called communism, anti-Christ, and we're still getting over the whole Cold War from the word anti, so... Uh, to the Reverend, because he seems to know a lot more about this word, anti. Because I'm, I'm curious myself. Is it a question of semantics? Because now we associate anti now as it's the end of the debate. If you're anti-something, you're against it. You know, you're you, you're this crazy person. Um, it's not brought out in the debate what, what anti is. Mm. Well,
1: uh, just a, well, anti is a prefix you can stick onto anything, of course. Any kind of word like an anti on it and you're in it, uh, but uh, it's anti Christ is used in the book of Revelation, and that is how it came uh, certainly to be used in a religious context.
7: Mm-hmm. But in, in place of, is it also can mean in place of, as in the, the
1: Pope has taken the, the place of Christ as soon as he you know says, uh, you know, takes <coughs> the well, on, on most occasions, it's used like Luther and Helfer and others. Uh, it's Antichrist who takes upon himself the power. It's often used in that context, yes.
4: But your point is, I, I don't know if this is what you're making, but it was a point that struck me at the time. It's one thing when you know the exactitude of what it means and where it comes from, and you can say, well, I don't believe in that either, so you know, that, that's not what I believe in. I don't think that's what the popes, uh, our pope now or our popes would now claim for themselves. They wouldn't. But the term has been banded about in the not too recent past, you know, and it's very derogatory of um, somebody that People is in charge. Hmm? People
7: take offense.
4: Yeah, because uh, it's a derogatory term. It's not. It has, it has accretions of meaning that are not back to its pure historical bedrock. You do human like right not yep. to be offended. Pardon?
2: Oh, oh, thank you yeah. <laughs> Interesting talk. <laughs> actually I have a, a letter in the Sunday Times some in which I suggested that when they are having difficulties landing with Brunan, sorry, the Bloomlanders, uh sorry, landers on Mars, that uh, Martian friends got in touch to say that the lands in the base are led by war mongering uh paths. So the human not gonna
7: be allowed to land on Mars. <laughs>
2: German, and he had a very deep foreboding sense of himself and his future. And I'm just wondering, is there, is there a, a sort of there anybody actually looked at this different national, uh, or but well, they're not broad like the national uh, attitudes which would impinge. I mean, somebody asked. when there's a lot of it's it just insecurity and hysteria really. And it was different
3: maybe you come in on that in terms yeah. of popular. Your, your I responses. mean, I know. What,
6: yeah, like one of your questions, Tommy, was like, why did the Reformation fail in Ireland? I don't know that I can give any type of a uh, overview of that because that has been a subject of debate among, particularly Irish historians of, of the Reformation, and um, really since since they started writing about this. Um, I think Ireland was a very complex um, case in the sense that you had quite a cultural diversity uh, on the island. You mentioned uh, Breton Law, so you had Gaelic culture, but you also had then Old English uh, culture um, who derived from from the Normans. Um, And I think, ultimately, I think the consensus now would be that by around the 1580s or 1590s, it was generally accepted that Protestant reform, as in the Church of Ireland had had failed um, in Ireland and that the counter-reformation had, had really gained a huge foothold, particularly in, in the urban centres. Um, so, I mean, does, any, does anybody else want to come on the that? The old
3: English in particular, that yeah, yeah. right? okay. the old English that the counter-reformation yeah, yeah. takes hold well, of? I think, I think the main reason why the, the reformation doesn't
0: succeed in Ireland is, is simply that, you know, the English, the Church of England and the, the English state is more interested in conquering Ireland than evangelizing Ireland. Like really, if it had invested in in, in people to preach in Irish mm. and uh, Protestant uh, Bibles and prayer books, it, the, um, the Reformation may have exceeded. In Ireland. Like, after all, the Reformation succeeded in the Gaelic-speaking uh, parts of Scotland. So there's no reason that it wouldn't have succeeded in the Gaelic speaking parts of
2: Ireland. Oh, sorry, can, I just, can, I, can, I, can I just let
0: this lady in here shed
3: her hand up? Yeah, get in quick.
4: Um, <laughs> so, um, um, i just like to modernise a wee bit. I was always told that if we all came in, I was one country, one religion, but I need to personalise this as well because recently, only last week, a friend of mine got beat to death for going with a Catholic. This time it was only 15. Four or 15 year old Catholics beat this child to death because it was through mixed I totally don't agree with it whatsoever. But how does the Catholic Church recognise this? that this is a good thing? Because the Catholic Church saying this is not a killing. that I actually think they'd be a good thing. I don't think anyone should be great to death on
6: my children killing children.
3: Sure, I think we could be on a different uh, different issue there, you know. Could to end the same I don't know yeah, yeah. they, they shouldn't be. No,
4: and that should be I, I don't think anybody not anybody would justify that as not speaking from a Catholic as the Bible does say, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But it doesn't say, if somebody comes and kills you or does wrong you, you go and kill them. I said, no, the no, New no, Testament does no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah. I don't understand where the thought process comes from, because
3: I, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't see the connection. I have no answer to that question, really. And, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Just yeah it, it, that's a solid one. But 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 like one of the problems with Irish history is, unfortunately, this problem of the Reformation is that it, it, it didn't succeed either way. It either didn't. Feel completely in Ireland, and
1: it, it didn't it's succeed modern, completely it? in Ireland. Like one of the
0: things you're is you're
1: moderate what you said earlier <laughs> on, that's right. you? You said it wasn't a success. and I want to know <laughs> what you mean by how you measure success.
5: Exactly. I mean, I, I think, I think gen- generally
1: right. in the South and West, uh, I can understand it. Uh, local uh, Catholic folks saw the English is coming. They took our lands. Now they want to take our faith. Yes. I mean, basically that that's was that's it But right. don't forget, don't forget the immigrants who are very popular today, except, of course, in North America. Uh, we welcome immigrants, but what about the immigrants who came from Scotland to sure. the northern part of this island? Yes, sir, sir. And they brought their religion with them. Sure. So in that sense, it was a, se- a success.
0: Yes, but, but the, the, their re- they brought their religion with them. I'm, all I'm saying is the native population was not converted one way or the other. No, General, absolutely Generally speaking, yes. yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. By, the end, like oh. prince, by the end, by 1600. Uh, before the large-scale plantations in Ireland, mm. there was probably about a 100 native uh, Protestants in Ireland, besides the English uh, uh, governing establishment, its clergy, and its army. But the, the, the Reformation in 1600 had completely failed
4: and I think the point that the gentleman made as well that within the Celtic spirituality before the sort of what is known as the colonisation of Ireland when Cardinal Cullen came and imposed a very Roman model like if you read in Irish some of the spirituality and the prayers it's very beautiful and much more um, open and less um, punitive or dogmatic in the way it's got a lot of fluidity with it and I think that's kind of, impo- that's important, as well as the point of Brian made, mm-hmm. which I totally endorse. I mean, you'd be through Cromwell and you're not going to be <coughs> ready too quickly to um, go and convert to that reform and see it as reform.
3: Could I just throw something else in here before, because I'm looking at the, the time here, right, um, in terms of the, the, the long-term uh, consequences of, of the Protestant Reformation. And it's, it's often associated with the, you know, the Protestant work ethic and capitalism, uh, Heinem, could you maybe explain to us <coughs> Max Weber, early 20th century? Well,
0: these are sociological theories which suggest that the capitalism uh, uh, developed and the, the Industrial Revolution developed because of a, uh, the, the work ethic uh, particularly associated with Protestantism and Calvinism. Uh, and like that uh, was obviously most pronounced in, in Northern Europe where, where the Industrial Re- Revolution succeeded first. But um, now many people would question uh, Weber's ideas on uh, the Protestant work ethic and uh, his ideas on the industrial revolution. I mean, the problem yeah. is some of these great reformers, Luther and others, uh, were against many aspects of cap- uh, capitalism like, like uh, punitive interest rates and, and uh, many of the, what we would consider... Uh, the predatory aspects of capitalism to the head. So it's very hard uh, to put the initial reformers into that capitalist bracket. But but on the other hand the, there's no doubt that the Reformation fostered uh, a large extent uh, a great deal of individualism uh, and uh, work ethic and, and brutality on the part of many Protestant sects like Quakers and others and, and Presbyterians all, all across the board uh, but it, but it, it simply made them um, uh, very appropriate uh, to drive the industrial revolution which came along in the 18th century.
6: Can I just ask Hiram a question there Um, on that to what extent do you think that was related to the fact that Protestantism I suppose was associated largely with kind of urban centers as well? do you think that had any any influence?
0: Uh, absolutely, but on the other hand like the, as it, it's also considered that some, you know some of the, most, the the bookkeeping the capitalist methods uh, you know for instance the Jesuits ran one of the first multinational corporations, to say the least right across the world uh, uh, and uh, so corporate capitalism came from other places and you could say that, there's a lot of Catholic stuff in that as well, so I, I'm not I'm not convinced by Weber's argument.
4: What do you mean they run a multinational corporation? <laughs> I, <I'm
0: gonna> uh, <laughs> well, all, all of these. They're <laughs> an international, international organization. Yeah, but yeah, they, they had to earn money from estates, uh, uh, and they to run their educational. Uh, they had large, um, uh, you know, uh, estates in Latin America, for instance, uh, where. Uh, and they had slaves of their own in some cases.
4: And they also worked and, and worked with slaves yeah. and had to campaign against slavery, worked with the Barneys yeah, the I mean, you can't just pick and choose here. You know, no, no you know, but, but they, but they s- did, you know. But but they did and they played with the arts and they set up, <laughs> uh, worked with the poor. They worked I, with I the okay, poor. actually, that's
3: another point I have on the list here, right? right <laughs>
4: just
3: and, and Let's come in this, on the, 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 the patronising of the arts, right? Because some people would say that whatever... Progress, the Protestant Reformation produced in terms of personal conscience, etc., etc., or, or even democracy. That's a bit of a long-stretch, that one. But the other is on the cultural side, it's seen as a negative. Uh, I mean, in its mo- most extreme form, you've uh, iconoclasm. Uh, any, any views on that?
1: Uh, I, I, I think the iconoclastic the movement was was really referenced, particularly in churches, in terms of worship. Uh, now... I mean, there are some Protestant denominations today who are very, very extremely plain in worship, uh, will only sing psalms unaccompanied, and yet members of that denomination are enthusiastic for the arts and culture. So I think I'm going to make a distinction between what goes on in a church, in a worship situation, Mm -hmm. and what goes on in your own
6: community. But Mm -hmm. I think in this period... um, Religion and the church is so deeply intertwined within the community. Actually, there isn't a distinction between the two in in, in this period that we're looking at.
4: Well, and I think what happened, like in the Council of Trent, at the very last moment, the French arrived, and were really concerned about the iconoclasm that was spreading through. So, the Council quickly rushed through a decree on sacred images, mm-hmm. and art, and the Jesuits took to that, running and. and Because they were building schools, then along with their schools, they were building um, churches. So they have some wonderful architecture. Mm. They had brothers who came, and those brothers, because they weren't doing the intellectual side, nonetheless, they were artistic, they were skilled. And the Jesuits really became very quickly, and 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 has been argued by historians, that they actually became the largest patron of the arts um, in Europe at that time. And that was through both music, drama, uh, architecture. I would argue. Well, I would put as a question, and I don't know what anybody here thinks. But in some ways, as a response to the, you know, that sparsity in terms of religious worship, we've got a lot of the Baroque that emerged from that. And you know, if you see that Baroque architecture, it's nearly, for me, over the top. You know, it, it actually nearly, the, you know, encountering the sparsity that we have sometimes. Um, perhaps even too much. But the
0: Counter-Reformation is, is also responsible for
4: all those fig leaves in the Vatican and what not. You know, that, you know, and, and, it's a small part, Harry, of what we well, have. It's, a, a, it's, it's a, a great disappointment to me. It's this of <laughs> you know, that <laughs> taste, because I'm
3: thinking of um, uh, the, the, the minimalism of the, the Protestant ethic and, and, and the vogue these days for Scandinavian design. And I'm thinking, would we have IKEA?
4: Without the punishment. was <laughs> <laughs> well, I prefer it to the Baroque, but I think yes. I also think we, there was what a was wonderful outflow of artistic. Was Luther an iconoclast? Was no, it? I wouldn't have thought Luther was the iconoclast. No, Luther. No, no, but, no. But, but, Luther, it, it, but the groups that spawned from. No, no, Luther. Luther. There's more the Huguenots, I think. You, Luther's, uh,
0: there's Rick High prophets and the others. The, the mm-hmm. Luther was concerned that a lot of stuff was being destroyed. Like Luther, in his terms, would look amazingly Catholic, in fact. Uh, but it was more the uh, uh, Calvinists who, 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 uh, who, who, who uh, created these very sparse churches and also did away with a lot of church music in some cases and also had an impact on civic culture in destroying uh, uh, traditional uh, uh, mystery plays and also theatre generally. Like in some countries, theatre didn't emerge even until the 18th century.
5: Now, does anyone
3: else in the audience want to come in? Because we're nearly out of time here. Uh, it's, yeah, I'll, I'll let you in that. Uh, no. I'd
5: like to go back to the question you raised at the beginning, Master, about Brexit mm-hmm. and ask the panel what they think about the proposition that um, Hillary Mantel is largely responsible for the Brexit. <laughs> I think the argument goes something like this, that um, the popular imagination was gripped, regardless of the, in, in these islands, Was gripped in the 1960s by Robert Bolt's play, The Man for All Seasons, Mm -hmm. Play and Film, in which Thomas More, the martyr, is is well received across the denominational divide. And then recently we've had a rehabilitation of Thomas Cromwell by Hilary Mm -hmm. Mantell. And we've got heavyweight historians of the Reformation like Gilbert McCullough and Ailan Duffy at odds.
0: I don't think that uh, people are concerned with with things to that level, you know. But I I think that obviously like uh, uh, interpretations of Thomas More or, or whatever, whatever don't weigh very much in the, the popular imagination. Uh, but but all of the same things are still there. Like you, all those recent films about the Borgias and the corruptions of papacy are still there. Uh, and uh, you know that seems to tie in well with you know what we. Currently, believe about some of the corruptions in the These
5: things haven't died. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, are you
6: with me that? Um, Well, I suppose I suppose Thomas More. Um, I suppose is most strongly associated with the humanist, the early humanist tradition. I mean, I think it was only subsequently his martyrdom that I suppose he was kind of hailed as this Catholic figure. Um, but I suppose he would have had he would have aligned himself very closely with the ideas of, of Erasmus, um, in terms of reform of the church rather than. And, and breaking away from um, the church. I think
5: the argument is he, he, uh, Jean-Claude the mm-hmm. sense <laughs> defending the centre.
6: Yeah.
3: Now, i I looking at the time here, and just to finish up here, um, I just want to maybe cast an eye on the situation today, because again, I was chatting with Hiram over lunch. Uh, He's making the point that one of the problems with his students today is many of them have no idea of many of these concepts whether it be transubstantiation or justification by faith, whatever. And uh, I'm thinking of the situation, you know, down south to the, the, the concept of a la carte Catholicism.
4: Yeah.
3: Uh, and is, that that is that just a, a Protestant of a small p?
4: No, it's an, an offensive, unacceptable term, I think. Um, mm. it's, we're in a very interesting place, I think, in terms of um, where we are today, in terms of, I think, the Roman Catholic Church. I want to say, one, the good news, I don't know what time we have to get to this, but just to say this like in 1999 um, the, under John Paul II there was a joint declaration issued between the Lutheran uh, and the, the Roman Catholic Church on the issue of justification like with with little with a very small like caveat there is no there is no it's over and Luther was right you know and that's uh, and Luther was right because the Catholic Church would argue, we were right because that's what we also held too. But we didn't go back to the sources, we didn't go back to the early fathers, so on. But just to say that it's a document well worth reading, and um, you can get it on the website. And it gives you great hope. I recently finished a, a, a work on uh, trained as a spiritual director in Manresa in the Jesuit place in Dublin. And delightfully, uh, a Lutheran was part of the a team, and she's we, we became very good friends. So, and Pope Francis, and John Paul II, and Paul VI have spoken about the biggest obstacle to church unity now is really the papacy. And they have acknowledged that, and Pope Francis acknowledged that in his Evangelii Gaudium, The Joy of the Gospel. So, I think we're in a totally different place nowadays in terms of um, ecumenism and Lutheran and uh, Catholic relationship. Um, that's at a theological level. I am not saying that on the ground, in terms of historical hangovers, in terms of Um, cultural and that there are huge problems and I'm not denying that. Um, But within the Catholic Church now we're having a very interesting situation where there is a massive attack within the Catholic Church on Pope Francis and if you follow and these are from right wing bloggers who are uh, very very strong in their and they're almost saying that Pope Francis is not the Pope. I have lived as somebody who would be quite liberal in my I hate the word but just in my own Catholicism when I would have issues with our previous popes and they were just issues. These are human I still said accepted they were the Pope and I would be accused of a la carte Catholicism. I've now lived long enough to have a Pope that I can and I don't agree with everything, but I will assent to many more things that he stands for in his work with the poor and the refugees. And this wing has arisen within the church, which is basically tell me that they can't wait to get rid of him and get back to the real Pope and that Pope Benedict has done a great disservice and that that may mean that this is not the real Pope at all. So it's interesting times within the Catholic Church in terms of the papacy. But I think in terms of ecumenism,
1: I think it's never. I think it's been it is as best and good as it has ever been in a long time. It, there's more to Protestantism than Lutheranism. Absolutely. Ryan, Ryan, yes. hold
4: up your end there, Brian. No, I'll I mean, give. I'll mean, you know, give Brian no,
1: yeah. the last word in this, like,
4: just in
3: terms
1: of from your perspective,
3: where we stand uh, today.
1: Well, well I, th- I think we still got the problem uh, of of uh, various promulgations coming from the Pope that uh, uh, outside. The Holy Roman Catholic mm-hmm. Apostolic Church, none can achieve salvation. Uh, I know that was in the past, but that hasn't mm-hmm. changed in terms of some recent stuff where we're not really part of the church.
4: That's not correct.
1: And that has been said. No. Sorry. That, those are, I, think, I, I think the difficulty is the primacy of the papacy, which is, dare I say it, a rather modern invention. Mm.
3: Tell you what I'm gonna to have to leave it there, guys. Uh, there's plenty <laughs> more miles left in this topic, and uh, okay, you know, one last quick point to
5: ask, uh, in today's world, what right does only church have to mediate between a man and his or her God? What right?
3: That's the universal question.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I <think> None,
0: we <laughs> need <laughs> another. <laughs> no, I do, I'm gonna to have to, I want to don't wind don't up know. there. We um, some, oh, <laughs> yeah, but, but the, the problem is that then you can get some jihadi who can run down the road with an eye. Yeah, okay.
3: I tell you what, I'm going to have to draw a line under this, right? And uh, when I, I told my friends I was going to be uh, moderating a, a discussion on the Reformation Delfast I said, you must be mad. <laughs> <laughs> in it's been a very positive experience. I'd like to thank our speakers here in the panel uh, the Reverend Brian Kennaway, um, uh, Bronan McShane, uh, um, Pat Coyle, uh, Hiram Morgan, and you, the audience, particularly those of you who've made contributions on the floor. And I hope to see you at future head schools. Thank you very much. Thank you.
2: Thank
5: you. <laughs> <laughs> Just to say hello.
4: Thank you. Hello. Thanks very much for your
5: contribution. Yeah. Have to run, Sorry. Oh, yeah, <laughs>
0: Well, the day for the to fill out an evaluation well, form. very
6: enough.
0: well <laughs>
6: and every single one of them is a <laughs> tiger and and every of them I think you two might be here for a while.
4: <laughs> I Hi, you. So, um, was you, were you doing tweets about the head school? What's that
6: Twitter page so I
0: can check Imagine
6: Belfast.
2: Imagine Belfast. Okay. i will trying I retweet, I retweet.
6: Uh, yeah. Is not it to kind of um, to to find these people sometimes, but well, I'll I'll look under the hashtag. Please do, yeah. I'll well, Okay, cool. Yeah, be
0: lovely. lovely. Great. Thanks a lot. Well,
6: we let's stick it with um, any continuing uh, festival that you have ongoing or? Maybe the last, to be honest. Really? Yeah, we
1: lost like 15
2: grand. The fund. We run this on
6: 20k, so it's really cheap. Wow. And where did the money that was
0: lost? came from uh, it's, it's a, tr- a build, build and change trust. They're they're very time-limited trust. They actually go out of business next March. They're running themselves down. So,